Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's a great day to be alive. You'll never be as young as you are today. And the one and only Jonathan Galt has a huge smile on his face. Breaking news. John, what is going on here? Well, just as we were about to start the podcast, I got a Twitter notification and it was from a name I recognized, a guy by the name of Carsten Warhol. I just tweeted out, one of our year-end articles. We just published a bunch on the site this morning. Race of the year, year-end awards, world rankings. And I tweeted out my race of the year article, which was about the 2021 Olympic 400-meter hurdles final. And just got a response from Mr. Warholm saying, good memories. Thanks for bringing them back, buddy. I don't know if I call us buddies. I've only crossed this path in a few mixed zones, but it does prove Mr. Warholm has excellent taste because he must be a Let's Run.com reader if he enjoyed the story. Wow, it's official. John and Karsten, buddies. You should be buddies, John. Let's get into the actual show. Lots to talk about. First full week of 2022 is in the books. This is the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast, in case you were wondering. I'm Jonathan Galt. Gentlemen, you just heard from one of my bosses, Robert and Weldon Johnson, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2022 USA Cross Country Championships, which happened last weekend. Alicia Monson and Shadrach Kipchirchir are your national champions. The field for the men's want to make a mile at the Milrose Games on January 29th was announced. It's terrific. Nick Willis will be running there. He fell short in his first sub four attempt of 2022. We'll break that down, even though the race was on January 1st. And we'll talk a little bit about the world rankings that we just published on the Let's Run.com site for 2021. Was Molly Seidel robbed in our marathon world rankings? We'll talk about that. Plus, the Dubai Marathon, we've got the exclusive here, has been postponed. Will not be taking place in January. Robert Weldon. Good to hear from you. Looking forward to talking some track today. John left out perhaps the biggest thing we're going to be talking about. 2022 Boston Marathon Women's Field is out. Greatest in race history. We will be breaking that down extensively. And folks, we're going to give you a bonus podcast tomorrow for free. Where we break down the men's field. The men's field is coming out on Thursday. And we'll be joined by Boston Elite Coordinator. Mary-Kate Shea of Jan, John Hancock to talk about that field tomorrow. Yeah, the Boston Fields, women's field's amazing. Talk about that in a minute, but you got Paris Church here, Olympic champ, Jocelyn Jipkowski, New York and London champ. You got two other sub-218 women, and Boston's never had one of those, right, John? And the great Molly Seidel, who was snubbed by Let's Run.com in the year in rankings. Sarah Hall. Without London this year, Boston has raised its game. We'll break that down. And it's, it's, it's a state secret, this men's field. We, we tried to get Mary-Kate on today to record the podcast. Like We'll, we'll hold off. We'll release this one podcast tomorrow, 10 a.m. or whenever the fields come out. Boston said no. There's less leaks coming out of the FBI and Congress than that comes out of that BAA. 
They don't mess around up there in Boston. So do you guys want to just dig into Boston right now? Seems like you're really excited about it. Or should we talk with the, the racing action in San Diego at USA Cross? Before we get to Boston, John, let's talk Milrose a little bit. We are now partners with the Milrose Games. Let's Run.com is promoting people to buy tickets for the Milrose Games. They'll be paying us a little money. And John, Let's Run.com, we have a full page spread in the Milrose program. It's pretty cool. I saw the ad. Walden designed it. Careful, Robert. Careful. The ad I sent you had to be altered. It was. Mine was better. The ad coming out is is still pretty good. John, let me. Am I allowed to reveal it, or is this also under embargo? I thought it was genius. It was. It showed a picture of a guy winning the Milrose Mile or Milrose something. I think it was. Yomif Kajelcha almost broke the world record. Twenty nineteen. Want to make a mile? That's who it was. And it said, let's run.com for the other 364 days of the year. So great ad. I hope it still looks something like that. It's cool to have a print ad. And I'm super pumped for this meet. Like, seriously, if you live close to New York City, come on, spend some money. Take the wife and the kids. You'll blow $1,000 on an NFL game, but not even go to one track meet. So do it now. Support the sport. Grow the sport, etc. Granted, they are advertising partners now, but J- John is like, you know, Mr. Church and State. Don't mix advertising and news. Pure journalist. But John's been raving about Milrose for a while now, and the field's got even better. The 60 meter already fe- featured the return of Christian Coleman versus Trayvon Brumell. Now you got Noah Lyles, Ronnie Baker. We already knew the men's 3K field was absolutely sick. It's Cole Hawker, Cooper Tier. It's interesting, John, who I'm giving first billing here. King Chaz. There's, I think, eight NCAA champions, 10 Olympians, or vice versa in there. It's a who's who. Drew Hunter. Connor Mance. Connor Mance. Wanamaker Milefields are out. Josh Kerr with a rear indoor appearance. Ollie Hoare. Nick Willis trying to break the record again. Hobbs Kessler, Weldon, Clayton Murphy, Craig Engels. I mean, even if Milrose wasn't paying us, I'm already super excited about these fields. You know, you buy a ticket, you get to see all of them. You get to see Ellie Puria. You get to see Ryan Krauser and Joe Kovacs, Kenny Harrison, Olympic pole vault champion, Katie Najat, RJ Wilson, a thing Mo. There's something for everyone in this meet. It's really going to be fantastic. Looking forward to covering it on January 29th. Now, I need to double check this. Evil Twin Brewery is supposed to have an after party afterwards in the infield, and you can get tickets to that. But when I clicked on the thing for that, I'm not sure if that's COVID made. I'm not sure what's that. The meat is going on 100%. There's no concern there. But, John, we will have to find an after party no matter what, even if it's not officially at the armory. But the Evil Twin guy will be there. Talk to my buddy Matt Taylor of Tracksmith. He may be there. Well, yes, this is, this is a pressing concern, Weldon, because Coogan's, which was the default post-race party venue for the Milrose Games, unfortunately closed during the pandemic. So normally there was no debate where I'd be drinking after the meet. Now there is. So if you live in New York or if you're going to Milrose, we need to determine where the Let's Run crew is going to be hanging out post-race. Any suggestions, welcome. But if there's already an event 
with Evil Twin on the infield, that sounds like the best option to me, Weldon. 100%. So keep listening to the podcast. We'll keep you informed. The meet is January 29th. I got a little worried, I must say. I did double check. I was like, oh my God, if this thing's up against like the NFC Championship game and my Cowboys aren't eliminated in the first round, that's uh, what I'm going to do. But it's not. It's the day before the AFC and NFC Championship games. So sports fans, there's one place to be. Milrose Games, January 29th. It's in the afternoon. Get your tickets now. Link in the show notes. And you got to fuel properly. If you show up and you're not a drink element element drinker, you you you'll be like the uncool guy. It the drink everyone's talking about, electrolytes with no junk, no sugar. You don't need a bunch of sugar in your electrolytes. Try it out. Free sample pack. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. You get six different flavors for five bucks. If you don't like it, I personally refund your money. Well then, I gotta say, it's interesting that you're worried about the NFC Championship game. The Cowboys haven't played in the NFC Championship game for 26 years, so I don't think you have anything to worry about in that department, but we'll see. Let's talk about USA Cross Country. Over the weekend in San Diego, as I mentioned in the intro, Alicia Monson and Shadrach Kipchirchir were your champs. What are our big takeaways from here? I mean, I think the most impressive performance of the day had to be Monson. She won this thing comfortably. And it kind of surprised me. I mean, I know that Monson and Kaladi, they were the class of the field. We expected them to go one, two. But if I saw one of them pulling away and just dropping someone early, I would expect it's Kaladi. That's how she typically runs. It is hard from the front, big moves from a long way out. And instead it was Monson who turned the tables on her and won this thing handily. And maybe that's just you know, Kaladi took some time off after the fall where Monson had been building more steadily, but I thought this was a really good step for Monson and her first national title at the age of 23. So I'm going to go back and roll the tape. I feel like on the Friday 15 podcast, I basically predicted this, but maybe I'm just making, honestly, I could be just making that up. But I remember when we were breaking it down, you told me that you talked to Stephen Haas, Kaladi's coach, and she'd taken some downtime after Manchester. Remember, she dominated Manchester, and I was so impressed by that run. I mean, she was basically as close to like some pretty good elite pros, like almost as close to like Drew Hunter as Drew Hunter was to the elite to the winner of the men's race. And I remember thinking this woman should run a half marathon right now, break the U.S. record, and then make her debut in Boston. But when I heard she took some time off, and you said you talked to Ritzenheim, Monson's coach, and she was really sharp, I thought, uh. I think if it's a blowout, it's going to be Monson over Kaladi. Now, I don't know if I actually said that. I could just be creating that narrative in my head, but both these women are going to be, you know, we're always wondering, like, who's going to be the next icons leading the sport for a while? And I, I just, Flanagan retires and Goucher retires. And there's always, seems like somebody coming through. So that'll be nice. Yeah, Got a bright future for U.S. women's distance running with Kaladi, Monson, Seidel, etc. Definitely. I think, Robert, I think I did make a prediction, and I believe I said the two things I would ex- would expect to see is either Monson winning over Kaladi late in a kick or Kaladi just dropping her. And the, the, neither of those things happened. It was actually Monson dropping Kaladi, which I didn't expect. But 
Credit to her. It shows that the strength of what she's been putting in in Boulder has been effective. If you look at the rest of the results, we've got Emily Infeld third, Emily Duggan fourth, Stephanie Bruce fifth, Natasha Rogers sixth. I'd say that's a pretty good run for Infeld. I mean, based on like if she's at her best, you would expect her to get third in this field. But we weren't really sure. She said she hadn't really been, you know, she's sort of just t- taking this race as a practice and not really as a, as a serious race. And she still ended up getting third. She looks like she's going to be working with a new coach that we don't know the exact identity right now. We know she's left Bowman, 31 years old. I think it's a good start for Emily Infeld. She's healthy and running right now. She was 18 seconds behind Kaladi, though, so it does show there's a bit of a gap to make up, but she's got some time. My takeaways, Alicia Monson's the real deal. Maybe we already knew that, but you just need a few data points. She makes the Olympic team last year. Rich, Rich was so bullish on her when we were profiling the o- OAC last year in the lead up to the trials. And people thought that was kind of crazy. Makes the Olympic team, comes out here, starts the year off right. John, this isn't only her first national championship. It's her first win as a pro. So that's a good one to get. Shows kind of how hard it is to win a race once you're a pro. And... But, you know, I wouldn't put too much stock. I think Kaladi took some time off. So I think that's probably what happened there. And they were still the class of the field. Still a good run for Emily Infield, although there's not a lot of depth in this thing. You're the one who told me this, but ninth place was two minutes behind the winner in this thing on the women's side. So, but third place, is, it's still a really good run for somebody who's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not going all out on this thing. Switching coaches, looking for a sponsor. Looks like, sounds like that's, almost finalized behind the scenes. So, and it, it, it was cool. San Diego, nice, you know, backdrops on the water there. Maybe we should have gone to see this one in person. Next year, World Cross year, 2022. San Diego will be good prep for Australia. I'd assume similar weather because the champs are going to be the end of the Australian summer. So, sign me up. And everyone goes and runs club cross. It shouldn't just be one race. The USA National Cross Country Championships and you have a club component. I mean, I think I'm allowed to enter this race. Anyone can enter, right? I mean, granted, they have the Masters, so I guess I should run the Masters, but since I'm older now, but let's just have one race. Get everybody there, San Diego 2023. Yeah, we should just have one race and make it giant. Like, don't, John, you're English or British or something. Don't they have like an English championship where there's like 5,000 people that run in series after series of races? Like you should just have one race that's the club people. And if some of the clubs, you know, the people are too slow, like you could run like the B heat of the, of the, of the, of the nationals. So it should just be one day to celebrate cross country. I was reading on the message board. Is this true? It's going to make me actually seem young. The old timers. No, I know most of the people on here are young college kids think I'm an old-timer. But the real old-timers can confirm this or not. That USA Cross used to be the weekend after NCA Cross. So everybody would run NCAs and then just go to USAs the week later. That could be fake news. I thought I read that on the message board. But someone was saying they should, we should do, do it then. I'm like, no, because the pros are coming off the track season. It's too soon. I really think the best time for this would be sort of 
I think World Cross is too late, March. I'd like to see this like in February, all of the cross country. He meets in February. Anyways, shout out to everyone who did run. You all said there wasn't a lot of doubt, but Deb, but you know, you're talking about ninth place being two minutes back, but there's a lot of big names. I mean, top 10, eighth place, Molly Seidel. And congratulations to her. She wasn't in super shape. She knew she wasn't in super shape, but she still went out and ran. I mean, she got beat by a minute 57, but wouldn't you rather be running a workout in San Diego with catch up with old friends than sitting in your cave and just training alone? So, Absolutely. Props, props to Molly for showing up. Now let's turn to the men's race, where, by the way, ninth place was a minute and a half behind first place. But the guy John predicted won. Who was it, John? I'm pretty sure I... Didn't I predict Leonard Correa to win? Shadrach Kipchirchir, I wasn't sure what he was going to do because he missed almost all of last year with a calf injury. And it was Shadrach Kipchirchir who took the victory. He kicked down Sam Chalanga and Dylan Maggard to win by two seconds. Dylan Maggard, who won the cross champs in at Mount Sac in December, and who I was told on the message boards... After I posted my free race article, you should have mentioned him. He run, he won cross champs. I wasn't overly impressed by the competition in that race, but I think I should have been because Dylan Maggard ran really well to finish second. And then behind him, it was WCAP athletes, Sam Chalanga, Leonard Correa, Bernard Kida went three, four, five. I have a fun fact for you guys. Well, question actually, trivia question. Who was the lost... USA men's cross-country champion who was born in the United States. Frank Shorter. Actually, was born in Germany. <laughs> That's true. I don't think you guys are going to get this. But I'll tell you, the, the year was 2016. Any guesses? That was pre-COVID, pre-Super Shoes, John. I don't really remember that era. The answer, he ran it. Actually, he ran it. The University of Texas. He's the University of Texas alum. All right, you guys really don't what, follow what? the answer. Is, the answer is Craig Lutz. Craig Lutz won the 2016 USA Cross. Since then, Leonard Correa, Leonard Correa, Shadrach Kipchirchir, Anthony Rotich, and Shadrach Kipchirchir again. Wait, Craig Lutz is the national champion? It was yes. one of those total off years, right, when nobody ran it? It was not just a total off year in that there was no world cross country, but it was also... It was also right around the time of the Olympic marathon trials. I think it was either the week of or maybe the week before, week after. So all the marathoners ran the Olympic marathon trials. There was no world team to make. So it was a pretty weak field. But yes, Craig Lutz is the answer. Wow. When you had said Texas runner, we're both from Texas and I'm still blanking. That's crazy. So people, you got to show up. You got to show up. Craig's now a marketing guy at Hoka. So props to him. I don't want to take this the wrong way. At one point we should discuss who's like the, the least, you know, the, the most improbable national champion ever. And it wouldn't be him. I'll say that much. Cause he, he was pretty damn good in high school, college. I'm sure there's someone who won, won like a U.S. road championship at some point who was just, you know, it was a really weak field or something. It, a lot of these things are dictated by prize money, right? Like, if you have good a road race with good prize money, the top athletes will find it out. But if there's not a lot of prize money, but it's still a national championship thing, that's when it sort of comes together. 
back to this year's men's race. Well, Shadrach Kircher, he, he missed pretty much the entire 2020, I'll get my years confused now, 2021 season. So this was a big step for him, I think, show he's back. I mean, it was tight there at the end of this men's race. There was probably, I mean, three guys really kicking for the wind and I don't know, at least six or seven there, sort of last quarter mile, half mile. So I see this as just a testament. Hey, I'm healthy. I'm back. I'm ready to go. I'm still one of the best guys in America. And then Dylan Maggard, as we kind of talked about, no one gives the club nationals much. You you don't get a lot of props for winning that. And this considered. wasn't club nets. This was the cross champs. Remember the Jesse Williams meet at the Mount Sac course? Oh. Tim Annalee, I think, ran there. I don't remember who else was in the field. Interesting. Because I would heard him say the cross champs, and in my mind, I thought they meant the cross-country club champs. Even more confusing. But he's not sponsored. So this is a big win for him. Because I think he was with Hoka. I think he, he must be a Let's Run reader too, because I, I posted, or somebody posted, I think, I think it might have been me. I don't know if I saw it. Because I was looking up who he's running with and he wasn't sponsored. And then I saw that post on Let's Run. And now his Twitter profile says free agent before it said like Hoka athlete. Yeah, you're right, Weldon. He was he was with the Brooks Beast and then lost years with Hoka and now free agent. So hopefully this helps him land a deal. Wait, wait, wait. Why am I mentioning Leonard Career? I'm sorry. Leonard Career wasn't third. Sam Chalinga was third. And that's another guy I'm super impressed with. The last I actually spoke to Sam Chalinga was, I think he was texting me or emailing me, John, and we were supposed to review his book about his retirement for running. And the next thing I know, he's running better than ever, ran pretty well, didn't get the Olympic 10K standard last year, but I thought he should have given that another go last year. Now he gets third in this. He'd be a good guy to talk to because I think he thought he was done with the sport and now maybe just sort of that last bite of the apple, he's just enjoying it, running really, really well. It's funny because when his career started, he was not a guy who liked running at all. He just wanted to go to a good university, but he was you know, one of his mentors was the the great Paul Targaard and his brother was a pro runner and... He, Paul Targa essentially said, you know, you should take up running, get in shape, and that'll help you go to college. He ends up coming over to the United States, first to Fairleigh Dickinson, then to Liberty. Still not like a huge running fan, but then he kind of, at this point, I think he can't really, he can't quit it. You know, he, he tries to step away and then he gets the itch to come back and he comes back. And yeah, last year, I mean, he ran 27.42 on the track. That was right behind Connor Mance at the track meet in May. He ran 60-59, again, second behind Conor Mance of the U.S. Half Marathon Championship. So even at 36, he's still got it. Kind of reminds me how a lot of times you don't like running when you're young, but then you realize later in life you're addicted to it. I was talking to my next-door neighbor the other day. I said, wow, you're out of school today because of the snow? It did, I thought the snow had melted. He said, no, actually I have COVID. And I was like, oh, shit. Stay away. But he ran... Freshman year cross country this year, I'd been talking to his dad and I said, Hey, do you know I'm a former college cross country coach? 
He took one look at my belly and said, no, I didn't. No, he didn't. He said he did not. He didn't look at my gut or anything. But anyways, I said, how was it? He said, it was pretty good. But, you know, after a while, like, you know, running every day, it's kind of hard. But it seemed like he enjoyed it until he hurt his hamstring. But I told him, hey, man. When I was in high school, I, I, I liked being on the team. It was fun to have some guys to hang out with. But I remember thinking, and, and our team was pretty good, but I remember thinking, I'll never, ever run by myself. So then I realized later I really like to run. So I see that happens to everyone. I remember when Chalinga came over. I was coaching at Cornell, by the way. And that guy was so raw. I think it was at Van Cortland Park. Like He'd only run a couple races in his life. Like He didn't know course maps or anything, these U.S. courses. Like, he got way ahead in Van Cortland Park and had to stop and ask for directions. But I want to give you guys a question or two here. You guys were talking about Dylan Magger, the Utah State grad. He ran like 13.30 in college. who had a couple pro contracts. The sixth placer in this race, I guarantee you Weldon's never heard of him. I was wondering if Jonathan Gold has. Benjamin Eidenschink. Please tell me what you know about this young man if anything. Weldon. I saw the name, and I remember thinking, oh, I need to Google this guy immediately, and I didn't do it. Mr. Galt? Well, I already recognized the name because I knew he was on the University of Wisconsin team, but then I saw after the fact, he's actually Alicia Monson's boyfriend because before the race, this was pretty cool, Ben Blankenship issued a challenge to the rest of the field. He said, he was teaming up with Emily Infeld, and for anyone who wanted to, to grab a partner of the opposite gender and team up against him and Infeld, lowest combined score wins. Well, the Blankenship-Infeld team did pretty well. They scored 10 points. Ben was seventh. Emily was third. But your winners in the team competition, Alicia Monson and Ben Eidenshank. Monson was the winner of the women's race, Eidenshank sixth. On the men's side. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's what I know about Ben Eidenschick. Wow, I didn't even know the Monson dating aspect of it. He's kind of like me. He's known for being... He's tied to someone else that's faster than him. Like, I'm tied to Weldon Johnson forever. Yes, he did attend Wisconsin. I just, you know, I mean, if you're running at Wisconsin, you're a pretty good runner. But his PRs were only 13.57 and 28.55. He never was in the top 100 at NCAA cross country. And now he's beating Ben Blankenship by 30 seconds. Sixth place was 30 seconds out of seventh. Only 34 seconds off the win. Maybe he's an altitude responder. He's listed now as Long Long Colorado. We know that Monson's based in Boulder with on athletics clubs. So. Maybe you should have gone to Colorado instead of Wisconsin. Both great programs, but if you're a guy who responds well to altitude, maybe that helps. All right, one last note from USA Cross Country. I just wanted to point this out because I thought this I thought this was a typo when I saw it. The winner of the under-20 race was 15-year-old Zariel Masia from William Floyd High School in New York. She was 12th at the East Bay, formerly Foot Locker Cross Country Championships in December. That was the top... F- freshman finish she was born in the year 2006 now she's winning a national title 
thought that was really interesting. This just a, a high school freshman winning the under 20 race, which is open to college freshmen. Pretty crazy to me. Yeah, I was stunned by how much she won by. And I looked her up, put out that information about her being 12th at East Bay. Didn't I used to have a rule, though? So I, I was super impressed, and I kind of actually gave her some pub on the front page. So I, I plead guilty to that, because didn't I used to have a rule? Like, I used to start telling you guys, don't, don't get back, do not talk about a high school female runner until they improve at, at age 18 over age 17? As an adult. I think you've said... I, I think you've said that, Robert, but what, she just won a national title we're not allowed to talk about her? I don't think We don't need to be projecting her future, but she won this race by 49 seconds. I just think, think it's an outstanding congratulations. And, you know, I'll see you when I see you in the future, but for now, this, she's a national champion. I mean, it's amazing. But I was thinking about this, you know, when I have tons more kids and I've got men, little guys winning like junior golf tournaments and junior cross country tournaments, getting ready for the NFL draft. Should they go pro out of high school type thing? I was like a little bit torn in my mind because Weldon's always on me for like, I like to play devil's advocate. I like to always argue the opposite side of things, be a contrarian. And that's true. But on the one hand, I was talking to someone recently about high school training. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with running 80 miles a week in high school. I don't think it ruins you if you do it properly. So if you want to be really good in high school because you're going to outwork everybody, go ahead. Because you can't really outwork everybody by a lot in college or pros, but you can do it in high school. So what's wrong with that? Might even get into good college because of it or get a scholarship, et cetera. But then on the other hand, I was like, if this was my child, would I really want to be flying them out to California in December and racing sort of when they might need a break from the regular cross-country season? But then I was like, well, I guess if they want to do it and are excited about it and they were enjoying it, I would. But then would you want to dampen a 15-year-old girl's by saying, hey, enjoy it while you can. I just want to tell you this may not last and there's nothing you can do about it or you do not tell them that part. I don't think I would tell them that part, Robert. You should just try to have, let them have fun with it and don't say, well, you know, you're having fun now, but you're probably never going to win the Olympics, so you might as well enjoy winning races. Now. Like, I think kids probably know that sort of thing, but... Yeah, I feel like you're just raining on that parade. Celebrate what they're accomplishing now. There's a couple of things going on. One, generally in a parent, if you have a phenom kid, what do you tell them? And I go, Chris Lear, author of The Running the Buffaloes, commented the other day, we should treat track and field like field hockey. Like no one thinks they're going to go pro in field hockey. Just sort of enjoy it while you're good. And I think most high school kids, you're not, you're starting high school, you're not going to make the Olympics. But I sucked in high school and I dreamed of making the Olympics. The dream is so much of what the sport is about. So you don't want to quash the dreams. And then there's the whole separate issue if like a young phenom girl, once they hit puberty, there's so many issues there. I don't know the best way to deal with that. Like, yeah, how do you keep your kid still dreaming, aiming for the best? Because if they never do that, they'll never improve or they'll never get to that next level. But then how to also do you keep them realistic and they have setbacks and say, if you go to college and you're just sort of an okay runner, that's totally fine. It's totally expected. Or if you regress because you go through puberty, like, I don't know. Anyone got tips, feel free to comment, email us. Don't email. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can pick up the phone and call us. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Folks, that is now live and active as a text line. I was texting with one of the 
top coaches in the country on that line. You were? Earlier today. Okay, the next text. We're audio used on the air. We'll get a free pair of on shoes. Reminds me, I don't think I checked the audio this week. Might do that right now in the background. And also for the weave audio, you got to hit option seven. One of my New Year's resolutions, Robert, please record the damn intro so they know option seven is the voicemail. It doesn't need to be a secret option seven anymore. It's been a secret for like two years. That will be done, people, by the end of this week where Robert Johnson will not be on next week's podcast. We also talked about things we want to see in 2022, things we're going to commit to. Can we announce this on the air, guys? If it is what I think you're going to announce, I think we can announce it, yeah. We need a name for this thing, but we're going to be talking each week to one of the top to the, to the coaches of the pro groups. That's where we're starting. Just kind of go through a tour of the pro groups in America. Let the coaches, you know, just give an overview of what they want to see for 2022, how they saw 2021. I'm not sure. Should we reveal who we're starting with, John? We can reveal that. The first guest is going to be Dathan Ritzenhein, coach of On Athletics Club and Alicia Monson, the 2022 USA Cross Country Champion. I think we need some feedback on this name. Weldon has been pushing for the Tuesday 20. And I just think he likes the alliteration, which, yeah, it's cool, but we already have the Friday 15. This is just, we can't just keep calling, should we call this one the Wednesday hour and a half? Like, I think tour of the pro groups. How about that? That's a little bit more fun to me. Submit your name suggestions as well. I guess you can text your name suggestions. If you text your name suggestion and we use it, yeah, that means we used it. You still get the free pair of shoes. And on, it's not sponsoring any of this. We just have, from our previous stuff, we still have shoes we didn't give away. So. Okay, well, then moving on, I think it's time to talk about the Boston Marathon. So we're recording this Wednesday morning. So right now we only have the women's elite field to discuss. As stated, the men's elite field is going to come out on Thursday, and we're going to break that down with Mary-Kate Shea, who is the Boston elite coordinator. But I don't need to see the men's field to not be really excited for this Boston Marathon. Last year was weird. It was in October. It was one of five majors that fall. Fields were kind of, only kind of so-so. It was the day after Chicago. This time, like, the Boston Marathon is going to be great because there's no London Marathon this spring. Tokyo's in March, but you know, it's still a little uncertain if that's even going to happen. The Boston Marathon is going to happen in April, and it's going to happen with the greatest women's field in the history of the race, which is appropriate because this is the 50-year anniversary of women officially being allowed to run the Boston Marathon. Here are just some of the names that are going to be starting in Hopkinton on April 18th. Perez Jipchia, greatest marathoner in the world, Olympic champion, New York City Marathon champion. Jocelyn Jipkozgai, 2021 world leader, London Marathon champion. Degatu Azimaroa, Runner-up in London, 217.58. Rosa Derege, 218.30 PB. Edna Kiplagat, last year's runner-up, the 2017 champion, five-time World Marathon Majors champion. Sarah Hall, second-fastest American all-time. Des Linden, Molly Seidel, Olympic bronze medalist. It's a, it's a totally loaded field I could go on, but 
the fact that I thought was the most interesting to put this into context is previously the fastest woman who's ever run in Boston, based on their personal best at the time of the race, was the great Catherine and Catherine Andreeba, whose personal best was two eighteen forty seven at the time. We have four women in this year's field who have run faster than that, including three under two eighteen. It's going to be a tremendous race. Showdown at the very top between Jip Chirchir and Jip Cosguy. They were the best two marathoners in the world last year. They didn't race in 2021, but they are going to race this spring. It's going to be amazing. Usually when sometimes these fields are announced in like January, I'm just like, uh, well, okay, whatever. This one I got pretty excited about. And now I realize, oh, even for the men, I shouldn't get ahead of myself, but like the men... Man, what if one or two big names drops? That's what I want to see. But yeah, this, I mean, on paper, this is the best Boston women's field ever. It's just like, I mean, it's not even debatable, really. I mean, I guess you could go back and say relative, or in terms of times, I get, you could go back and say, you know, relative to the world ranking, that sort of stuff, who knows. But in today's age, this is as good as Boston can do, obviously, with no London. Great fields. Uh, you know, they got the internationals, they got the Americans. There's really not, not much more you could want. Yeah, and it makes sense because, again, if you're American, where else are you going to run a marathon this spring? This is the only U.S. spring major, which is always the case, but, yeah, it makes sense. But the the big thing is getting the international stars because you know London wasn't going to be able to lock them up for the spring. You know, you wonder is are they going to go to some other race in Europe, maybe Prague or Rotterdam or something? You would expect Boston as the only world marathon major in April to try to get them, and they they did. They got three of our top five from last year's world rankings. They got three of the top four from the Olympics last year. It's just a terrific, terrific field, and I, I can't wait to see this play out. I hope there's good weather on April eighteenth. Well, I think that's some of the beauty of Boston. Even if you have bad weather, you've got the course, you've got the hills. I mean, so much of Boston, well, recently for sure, has been about the weather. But I think with the spring marathons, a little bit more so than the fall, you don't know what weather you're going to get. Some days in Boston, you have really hot days. We obviously had the worst weather I've ever seen for a marathon with the torrential downpour and freezing rain. But Des Linden, John, you didn't, properly introduce her supporting club member des linden who now has a world record so 50k world record is in the books john the sporting club supporters club has its first world record we i guess we gotta we have to publish you know the best time at every event i wonder if what if des had them all right now like 5k and up i'm sure there's some dudes who run faster and stuff but that's cool. Did you guys see Des at the on Twitter? She was at the greatest regular season NFL game ever. Did you guys see this? Well, I think it's debatable whether it's the greatest regular season game ever. I'm fairly fond of Week 17, 2007, Patriots 38, Giants 35. But yeah, I saw her. And it was funny because it was the Chargers Raiders game in Las Vegas. Josh Cox has season tickets for the Raiders. He's a big Raiders fan. That's her agent. So Des and Ryan Linden come in for the game. If the Chargers tie or win, they clinch a playoff spot. They're in overtime. 
They're two seconds away from tying, but then the Raiders kick the game-winning field goal. Josh Cox is sort of videoing his the celebrations. He's pumped because the Raiders are going to the playoffs. And then he turns around to show Dez in her Chargers jersey, and she just slaps the phone out of his hand. It keeps recording, hits the ground. The phone was okay. But I was like, you know, another reason to like Des Linden. She's a football fan. She's got passion. And apparently, she's one of the only LA Chargers fans in existence. Her and her husband, must they're the only two I've, that I know of that are actual LA Charger fans. Des has some connection. Well, she's from San Diego, right? Yes, and the Chargers used to play in San Diego. But I know a lot of the fans kind of got pissed when the Chargers moved to LA, and they were like, you know, screw you guys. But apparently Des is stuck with them. Because Josh and her are both Padres fans, but I guess Josh is Raiders for whatever reason. I just love that passion. Des is a true sports fan. I think that's one reason, like, she gets Let's Run. She's like, fans are going to be fans. Like, Let's Run is the one place, essentially, on the internet where pro runners, like, asses aren't kissed, essentially, right? I mean, generally, like, and now, especially more so than ever, you can kind of operate your own little silo on social media. Everyone says you're great. I mean, social media, they don't. Like, if you're a big sports star, people go after LeBron every single day on Twitter, Facebook, you know, the NBA forum, whatever it is. But running is so minor. The only place you're going to get a little pushback or fans saying, like, oh, Des Linden sucks is Let's Run. But I think Des is so passionate about sports, you know, she gets it. And I think that the sort of can can you call a Boston Marathon champ a blue collar runner? Maybe that's something else we should trot out. And, and can you call a Boston Marathon champ a blue collar runner? Absolutely. Yuki Kauchi, the the most blue collar runner of all time, is a Boston champ. So of course you can. It's kind of fitting that Dez and Yuki won in the same year, right? Because that just blue collar. The weather's shitty. You got a full time job. You go out there and run no matter what. And for them to win Boston that year, God, it's it's pretty fitting. Speaking of Des being in the field, I am interested to see what she does. She's 38 years old. She's long maintained, you know, when she's no longer competitive in marathons, she's just going to move, she'll move on to something else. You know, we already saw her do the 50K last year, but she ran one marathon last year. It was the Boston Marathon. She was 17th. She was not competitive. I know she was dinged up. And... Yeah, she's 38 years old now. She had a decision make. Do I continue running these things or are there other things that motivate her? And I don't think, you know, the Boston Marathon is her favorite race. I don't think she wanted to end out finishing 17th, which was her worst finish in a marathon since her debut back in 2017. So she's back. Could I don't know if it'll be her last Boston Marathon, but we're getting towards the end of her pro career here. That'll be interesting. But I also, I love that Molly Seidel is running this race because she used to live in Boston. Everyone knows that. She's America's best marathoner right now. And I think she's really well suited to the Boston course. I think she's going to be able to throw whatever it throws at her. The hills, any kind of weather, she'll be ready for it. I think she can really do some damage here. And look, this is a terrific field. You do have you know, the Olympic champion who beat her in Sapporo in Perez Jipchichia. You've got Jessalyn Jepkosguy, who's a New York champion. So they're going to be tough to beat, but I really am excited to see how Molly Seidel does on this course. Wow. You guys have been talking back and forth about a lot of stuff, and 
wasn't sure what I wanted to add, but then was that John overcompensating right there? A lot of praise from Molly Seidel. All I know is when I got into the office this morning, fired up the message board, and came across the following thread. LRC Women's Rankings, Molly Seidel not even top 10. Yes, that's right, folks. Our rankings are out. I was actually going to pin them out. There was a slight pause there for me. Sorry, I was researching. I was going to pin all the rankings on Jonathan Galt. It's just going to be confirming that my byline wasn't on the rankings. But neither is John's. The article is by Let'sRun.com, so I guess I'm partially responsible for them. What do you mean partially responsible, Robert? I submitted these to you a week ago, and it took you like almost two weeks to, or all right, I think it was maybe two weeks ago. It took us to publish them because you wanted to make your alterations. You did make alterations in a number of cases here. Don't act like you're not responsible for these. You signed off on them 100%. They better run.com byline. they let's run.com rankings. They're not just my rankings. Hey, Molly, I'm a big believer in everything you've done. I've never doubted anything. Well, maybe the, <laughs> maybe yes, the plain story. Everything you've ever said, that's for sure. Maybe the plain story, but but not not your ability. But no, John, the, the rankings are very hard for you to do because you, you sent them over to me to be edited. And like the first one I was looking at was the men's 800. I spent like almost a half day like analyzing the men's 800. And like by the time I got to the women's marathon, it's the very end. So I didn't spend a lot of time looking at it. But I remember doing, I do remember going down to the bottom. And seeing Seidel as number one American, I'm like, wait, she's not in the top 10 of our overall world rankings. I'm like, should she be there? And I spent a few minutes thinking about it. And I kind of thought, I understood your logic. So I, I didn't change it. I mean, it, it, first of all, the rankings are very hard to do. They're subject, subject, subjective. I mean, I think like some rankings are obvious. Like actually our rankings, the first five, I just looked it up. with the exact same as track and field news for the top for the marathon. But then after that, it gets a little bit difficult and it's particularly difficult for the marathon because, you know, in a normal year, people only race twice this year, many people only raced once. So I would say since the first half of the year was eliminated, I'm not going to sort of hold it against you. If you only raced once, because someone's like, look, Seidel was third in the Olympics and fourth in New York. Shouldn't she be in the top 10, you know, in the world rankings. But when you look at it, to me, the, I, I spent a lot of time on it this morning. There's no doubt. I think the top nine are perfect. I don't think she's better than any of those women or had a better year than any of the women in the top nine. Got the Olympic and New York champion, prepares to cheer number one. Jocelyn Jepskowski won London, number two. Angela Tanui, who broke, who won 217.57 and won two other marathons, including 220. Number three, Bridget Coast Guide, number four. I don't know if I need to go through everybody. Second in London, number five. Third in London, number six. 219 marathoner and 221 marathoner, number seven. I mean, the, the woman ranked number eight is won Valencia in 219.31. And then the woman ranked number ninth is the Berlin winner in 220.09. Is winning Berlin in 220.09 better than fi finishing third and fourth in two other races? Certainly, if it wasn't Olympic year, I think everybody would agree with that. Yes, it is. If we're not going to penalize people for not racing two marathons because it was a weird year, I think that, in my mind, Nancy Jellicott of Kenya, our ninth-ranked woman, first in Valencia, 219.31, had a better year than Molly Seidel. 
or excuse me, that was our eighth winning player. Uh, go Tim Gavrich Celesi, first in Berlin, 220.09, had a better year than, than Molly Seidel. I mean, normally in a, at a race, we're not thinking, oh, this person got third. This is amazing. It's because the Olympics, we're excited about it. Now, the question is, should she be 10th ahead of Ruth Chepengedich of, of Kenya? Chepengedich won Chicago in 222.31. Again, if we're not holding that against someone not racing twice, I would say that's better than finishing third in the Olympics or fourth in New York. But Chepengedich did run two races, John, and she dropped out of the Olympics. So Seidel beat her there head-to-head. The more I think about it, I kind of think Seidel should be 10th ahead of her. Yeah, it's a tough call, right? And you're saying, oh, was winning Chicago more impressive than Olympic bronze? Well, in a normal year, yeah, but actually the Chicago field here was really weak. Like, who did, who did she even beat in this race? So maybe that is an oversight. Maybe I should have put Seidel in there. Yeah, with the Olympic bronze. I don't know. It's tough to compare. It's really tough to compare marathons, but Seidel does have the head-to-head victory. She doesn't have a major victory. I don't know. It's uh, it's just kind. Of, it's uh, John. I think kind of a toss up. But I, th- I think we need to be man enough to admit it. We made a mistake. But put it at number ten. Can we change it? Well, are we allowed to do that? Wow, I was just about to joke that we were just saying let's run as a one place where people can be are critical of pros, and that man, you guys should have just thrown her a bone and put her in the top ten. Sort of joking, just get a little love for Molly. But now you guys are serious. Are you going to backtrack, not have any backbone, put her in the top 10? Are you guys just trying to be liked by Miss Seidel? No, I'm just trying to create the best rankings. Well, then, do you have an opinion on here? What do you think was the more impressive season, the better season? Third at the Olympics, fourth in New York, or a DNF at the Olympics and a win in Chicago in 222? You could argue fourth in New York in 224, that alone is about as good as winning Chicago in 222 based on just how easy the courses are. Wow, she faded to 222 in Chicago. Chicago was so weak this year. And, man, there's a couple things going on. One with the COVID, before, you know, I wasn't penalizing the one race and giving people the benefit of the doubt for one race. But do you factor in her getting beat at the Olympics? Yes, you have to. The more I think about that, that's why she needs to be ahead of her. But in your defense, John, I was just looking at the men's rankings. You know, and I would—I I kind of thought it was like a stronger year relatively for the women than the men this year. But the ninth, before everyone thinks that we've got some personal vendetta against Molly Seidel, the ninth place men's, ninth ranked men's marathon in the world this year for us is Abdi Najia of Netherlands. This guy got Olympic silver and fifth in New York. So that's better season to me than Molly Seidel, who was third in the Olympics and fourth in New York. So very similar. And that's how far down, you know, th- th- they are. So Yeah, but you still ranked higher than we ranked Seidel. I think she gets it. Because we do reward people for doing two marathons. So I think this year we don't we didn't penalize people as much who only had one body of work. And I'm fine with everyone else being ranked ahead of her. But oh, usually winning Chicago. It's Ruth Chepin get it. She's got all these credentials. She's so good. I think if she raced Molly in Chicago, she'd beat her head up. Heads up. But that's not what happened. In New York, excuse me, Chicago was so weak this year. Usually, 
John, she fades like she did at Chicago. She doesn't win that race. I mean, you guys would say that. Absolutely I mean, not. she still did win the Chicago Marathon this year, but yeah. I think he put Seidel at number 10 now. The 222 should have a huge asterisk the more I think about it. But this shows you how hard the rankings are. I mean, how long have we been discussing this? This is just one ranking spot out of, you know, 8, 15 steeple, 5, 10. Mar- there's 12 events. I mean, we're going to spend 20 minutes in every one but, spot. It's quite time intensive. But hey, you know, you got to know how the running American running ecosystem goes. The American runners should be ranked about four or five places higher than they deserve. People get pissed if they're not ranked. But whoever started that thread, I think they deserve some props. I think I think we, we're going to do it here, right? Officially issue the... F- We've retracted a couple rankings before, haven't we? But pre, it was pre-COVID. I don't remember what happened then. At least once. One of them involved, I think, Emma Coburn that we didn't, I don't think we had her ranked highly enough and someone made the case and we responded. So we're not perfect. Wow. We just try to do our best here. I was going to say, let's send, it's a registered user by the name of High Hope started the thread. I'm like, let's send them a free pair of shoes. But I pushed my secret button that only I have access to to look up their IP address. This person's not even American. Posting from Great Britain. Wow. I don't want to have to send the shoes overseas, but she's got fans all over the globe. Hey, on ships everywhere, man. They're an international company. Free pair of shoes. Free pair of shoes for that person. But I should have spent more time on it. But again, perfection gets in the way of Don. That's why I didn't get up for John for like 10 days because I started analyzing this 800 and I was like, if I do spend this much time, I spent like four hours in the 800 ring. Like if I do this, it's never going to, then I just gave up and didn't look at it for like four days. And then you're like, are you going to publish it? So then I went through it. And again, I was looking at Seidel, I'm like, oh, she's not there. And I also thought one of the questions I asked myself in my head to justify it without looking too in depth at it and spending 20 minutes like we've just done with this mental exercise was, I thought, is she one of the best 10 marathoners on the planet? Like if, you, if you're looking for the 10 best people and only they can start the race, no, she's not. But did she have one of the 10 best seasons in 2022? Yes, she did. Barely. Yeah, you're not ranking, is she one of the 10 best marathoners in the world? You're ranking, did she have one of the 10 best seasons last year? Which I think we all agree she did. Congratulations, Molly. All right, a few more news items to discuss. This one's quick. I just want to say Chris O'Hare is retired. I really enjoyed watching him race, but... The one thing that struck me personally, Chris O'Hare and I are basically the same age. And now guys my age are retiring. It makes me start to feel really old. So I looked it up. I'm like, am I officially older than Chris O'Hare? Or is he, you know, who was born first? Chris was born in November of 1990. I was born in February 1991. So there are still a few, maybe I have one year left until people my age start retiring. But Chris is officially a little over two months older than me. I will say, though, I enjoyed watching Chris race. He's a great indoor mile runner, particularly. You know, I know he made the Olympics. He made a couple World Championship finals, but two Milleros mile wins, 2018 and 2020. Both of them really dominated the fields. And he was the NCAA mile champion in 2012 for Tulsa. He broke the NCAA record, ran 352 the next year. So really a specialist on the indoor oval, but just a good guy. Wish him all the best uh, in retirement. Specialist in the indoor oval. He made two world championship finals, John. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But he was good. He was a good indoor miler. Those are my memories. I guess those are the ones I got to watch him in person was at Milrose, and he delivered some great performances. So, yeah. 
But I like this. And this sort of goes into what I've been saying on recent podcasts of what it used to be like. You live your dream in your 20s. Then when you're 30, you move on. He's 31. And then, John, wait till you get in your 40s. Then you'll be like, wait, does anyone I compete against still compete? And I, as long as Abdi's still running, I'm good, man. I mean, Abdi's almost my age. He, he, don't retire, Abdi. Keep competing. Keep competing. I hope you're on the Boston list tomorrow. Yeah. There are a few guys. I mean, Robbie Andrews is my age. I raced against him once in high school and once in college and cross country. He's battled injuries. He hasn't been racing that much, but it'll be nice to see. If he can make a comeback, that's good. And then Johnny Gregoric was a high school rival of mine. I'll be rooting for him to have a nice long career so that I can keep saying that I, I beat a current pro runner. But I'm, I think I'm running out of guys that I used to compete against. Well, then. Because Mo- Kyle Merber as well, he retired last year. I never beat Kyle. I came close at the 2012 Nutty Comb Invitational. But he's he's out from the sport as well. Breaking news to report, John. I heard the name Robbie Andrews. And I, as we were recording this show just like a few minutes ago, I saw something on the message boards. I almost interrupted right when I saw it. It was breaking. I decided to hold off because John thinks I use the sound too much. But it's kind of surprising development here. Ben Flanagan, the Canadian... He was NCAA 10,000 meter champion for Michigan. He's part of the Reebok Boston Track Club, which for some reason I don't understand. It's based in Charlottesville, Virginia. Put out on Instagram that he is leaving the group. He's been running exceptionally well, rocking Falmouth, really proving that he should be a great roadrunner, bright marathon future. So this is a surprise. And what does this have to do with Robbie Andrews, Robert? Well, come on, John. You're the social media guy. I guess maybe you've been recording the podcast and not seen this Instagram, but Ben put this development up on Instagram. This opportunity has been a dream come true. I'll be forever grateful for your support and belief in me. Thank you for the experience. And it's a picture of the Reebok Track Club running together. And the guy in second on the far left, right? Do you see it, John? Can you pull this up on Instagram? Oh, I did see this picture. Well, that appears to be Robbie Andrews, folks. Robbie Andrews is wearing running attire. He's dressed just much like I am, wearing black running tights, a black top. And he is running with the Reebok Track Club. So I know his Adidas contract was up, I think, last year. Adidas and Reebok are owned by the same company. His fiance, or maybe now wife, Josette Norris, is a star on the Reebok Track Club. So I always wondered, like, well, will Robbie try to join up with that team? Maybe he's just coaching the team or doing the easy runs with them, but there's proof that he's running. Oh, yeah. Well, I assume it's just he's running with Josette because they're engaged, but maybe there's more to it than that. Who knows? That sort of speculation is great for the message boards, right, Robert? All right. Sad news to report. This was a shocker, but came out this week. Dion Lendor, who is the great 400-meter runner for Texas A&M and for the Trinidad and Tobago, Multiple-time world indoor medalist in the 400. Multi-time NCAA champion in the 400. He won the Bowman in 2014. Medaled at the World Champs for Trinidad and Tobago in the 4x4. He's only 29 years old, but he was killed in a car accident this week in Texas. And 
We still don't have the full details about this from TMZ. They said that the Texas Department of Public Safety said Lendor was driving westbound on FM 485 in Milam County in his 2015 Volkswagen Jetta on Monday when it crossed over the center line and sideswiped the vehicle coming the opposite way. Lendor continued and drifted over the center line again, crashing into a 2018 Infiniti SUV head-on. Now, CNN reports that he was driving home from practice when the accident occurred. That would suggest that there was no alcohol involved. I don't know for sure. Not going to speculate that on that, but just really sad. There was an outpouring from the entire sport. Sounds like Lendor was very well liked. Well, people saying he was a really nice guy. It's it's just really sad. 29 years old, he was still competing to die in a car crash tragedy. Yeah, very sad. The way that's described, I mean, I don't know why people like to speculate, but it's, I think it's human nature. The way that's described, I wonder if he passed out in the car after practice, you know, like got lightheaded. Because you think if you swipe swipe a car, that would wake you up. You know, it's not like late at night, too. Why, if you fell asleep or something, or even if you're grabbing your phone or spill something or et cetera, you think. For a friend of mine's father once died in a car accident, but had a heart attack first. Yeah, it's just awful. And he, I mean, he was third in the Diamond League final in 2021. He was still competing at a high level. And for, to you know, to still be running that well as a 400 runner age 29, normally your prime is your early 20s. So it's just really sad that he was, I'm sure he would have been on Trinidad and Tobago and other world, few world championship teams, relays. They're always so good in the relays. It's just really sad. I didn't realize he's still running that well, John. But that's not the sad part. We all get one shot at life, and when somebody young tragically dies, it's just no way to sugarcoat how sad it is. So thoughts and prayers to his family, friends, everyone who knew him. I liked what Pat Henry had to say about this because we've been talking about how he's still running at a high level, but you know we didn't know him personally. The thing that struck me, John, was like the glowing tributes he was getting from people who did know him personally, including, you know, that was on social media, but including Pat Henry, who has said this to the local newspaper. This is very difficult to process. This is A&M coach, Texas A&M coach, Pat Henry. I can't even express this loss. Over the years, our relationship had changed to not only one of ath- of my athletes to coach, but he was loved by my wife, children, and grandchildren. He was part of my family. It hurts. It really hurts. My thoughts are with his family and the efforts to get through this very difficult period. Yeah, no easy way to transition for that, but a few more things before we end the podcast here. I did want to mention the Dubai Marathon. We sort of teased this at the front, at the, the top of the podcast. We're kind of wondering where it was. It was one of the last major running events staged in 2020 before the pandemic. It was canceled last year due to the pandemic, like most marathons. You know, it's a January race, so January 2021, not surprising. But I was trying to figure out, normally it's around this time of year. It's the second or third week in January. I couldn't find anything about this year's race on Google. So I reached out to Alan Ewens, who is the media director. He let me know that the current health and safety guidelines in Dubai, he says it remains impossible for pace events to reunite the running community in Dubai with its iconic marathon in the early part of 2022. They're hoping for a big race, but they can't do that at the moment. So he went on to say, naturally, we're disappointed to have to wait longer, but we hope to be able to put on a bigger and better event later this year. 
the date we have set for the return is December 10th, 2022. So that's interesting to me. One, I'm glad it's still happening. Remember, Dubai was the richest marathon in the world for a while. 2019, they cut the price money in half. It was 200,000, went down to 100,000. Still a big payday. For, that's a first place prize. Still a big payday. I was kind of wondering if it was if it wasn't going to come back, but it does sound like they do plan to return, so that's good. But it does make me interested. Seems like there might be a rivalry now between Dubai and Abu Dhabi because we know the Abu Dhabi Marathon cropped up in December a few years ago, and they offered fairly significant prize money. And now, if Abu Dhabi and Dubai are both in December 2022, I'm going to be very interested. Do they get in a pissing match? about who can assemble the better field. Is there a rivalry between Abu Dhabi and Dubai? I don't really know what things are like over there in the UAE, but I imagine that one of the reasons they put on these races is sort of for prestige, and you want your marathon to be better than the other Emirates marathon. So I'll be interested to see, but I'm glad Dubai is still on the calendar and giving athletes opportunities to race. Hopefully it happens in December. John, you need to write the guy back. Are they going to have a December 22 race and a January 2023 race? I assume not. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would guess not as well, but... That would be crazy. But yeah, I I mean, I assume they already were rivals. They were basically one was held in December, one was held in January, but I'm glad to see that, you know, it's just a COVID-related thing because it's always good to have something going on that time of the year. All right, one final topic. Nick Willis's sub four attempt on New Year's Eve. Well, technically, the first four minutes of New Year's Day. Track Smith came out with their, I think it was an eight minute documentary chronicling the attempt. I thought it was well done. He came just short, four flat point, two two, really close. It was interesting. He sort of he wanted them to go out a little slower at the start, and it, you know the. It's fine margins here. Did you guys watch this attempt? What did you think of it? And Nick Willis, we know now he's running the want to make a mile at Milrose. Do you think he's going to be able to get it in that race? Couple things, John. Did we watch? Well, I watched it when it came out like a week later. That's my problem with this whole thing. You said it was really done. Well done. It's eight minute documentary. The race itself is four minutes. Like there's not that much else going on. Like put some splits up. I forgot it happened so long ago. I talked to Matt Taylor, CEO of Tracksmith. I went to college with yesterday and I forgot to mention like, or just sort of say, Hey man, like she just done this thing live. But like, it's not like there was some 30 minute documentary. It was an eight minute thing on a four minute race. So he said, did I watch? Yeah. The thing came out. The first thing I did, was immediately take the slider, keep moving it around. Oh my God. And like, I can't believe that. You know, you don't live for any sort of suspense. Look, I didn't like that. It came out like a week later. But I did enjoy, I at least tied it on. I was like, oh man, is he going to get it? I enjoyed the dramatic element of it. I thought that part was cool. I was somehow convinced from the chat on the message board he missed. I didn't think it was that close. But I felt confident that enough people were saying he missed. Some had times and I'm like, oh, they were clearly wrong. But the way some people said it, I'm like, oh, I think he missed. But so the question that then becomes... Is the Wanamaker mile, is he in over his head? Like, is that the race you really want to be in? No, it's not. Of course not. You would want to be in the B race where it's being run in like 357 or something like that. He's not going to have Hobbs Kessler pacing him in the Wanamaker mile 
for 1,500 meters. But it now gets back to, it's like a pure sporting event. Nick ran 334 last year. This really shouldn't be a problem for him. I think that I really wish this New Year's thing would have happened because it would have been, it would sort of been the perfect thing for everyone there to be cheering for, so focused on having drinks. But now sort of like at the back end of some race, he gets number 20, right? And everyone claps. I think it's going to happen, but it's it's not quite as cool. But I guess now he'll get national TV and stuff, so maybe it's better for them. Yeah, I do think it will happen because the race environment might not be as good, but he also got COVID like a week before the race or a week or two before the race, and that knocked back his training a little bit. So if he gets another few weeks to get in some training, get a little bit fitter, that's really all he needs. I think he'll do it. And if, if he if he doesn't do it at the, the Armory at Milrose, he's just come to BU and do it at like Valentine's or they set up a special attempt. Because if you can run four flat at the Armory, you can definitely run 359 at BU. Co- correction, John. You need to say when someone gets COVID, like everyone does these days, I had COVID and I was triple vaxxed. I think Nick was, right? Like, oh, I'm not, oh shit. Now I'm really setting it. I'm not trying to say not to get vaxxed, but it's funny how now people say, like, when you get COVID, like, Robert, did you have, did your neighbor say, sorry, I have COVID? Don't worry, I was vaxxed. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. You have COVID. <laughs> I mean, like, just kind of a joke how, how, like, I feel like on Twitter now everyone's like, I had COVID, but I was triple vaxxed. Well, people want other people to know that they've taken the precautions that they could reasonably take. If I'm triple vaccinated, which I am, I can say I took the precautions that were recommended by the CDC to try to stop the spread of this disease rather than just remaining unvaccinated and not doing any, doing my part. I'll get off my soapbox. Anyway, Robert, any hot takes to unload on Nick Willis? John, I must admit, Robert is triple vaxxed. I'm only double vaxxed. If somebody wants to cancel me from this podcast, at least it's buried in the back. Wow, Ro- Rojo normally, he's leading the COVID discussions. He looks like he's he's trying to pull his hair out here. He doesn't like us talking about this stuff. Do you want to talk about the running, Robert? What is it that you want to say? I just want to say well done to Matt Smith, Matt Taylor and Tracksmith. It amazes, I love Nick. And for some reason, I don't, I don't understand why are we talking about Nick Willis all the time? Of course, he's going to break four minutes this year. I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing, but he ran the equivalent of 354 last year. Why would he lose it all in three months? And last year was a record, too. So that was the 19th record. Now he, he's going to get an, add another year to the record, or is he going to become solo possession of the record this year? I believe he's going to add another year. But the reason we talk about this is because he's 38. When you're 38, you're more liable to get injured. And... He's also not training full, like he is training fairly seriously, but this isn't a top priority for him anymore. He's playing in a rec basketball league. He's skateboarding. He's doing other things. Like his whole life is not geared necessarily around breaking four minutes in the way it would have been in winning an Olympic medal five years ago or six years ago. Oh, he's the one playing basketball. I saw some reference to basketball on his Twitter. I figured out because his kid's team. No, he plays. Oh, this is even better. Oh, this is even better. Oh, and while we're on the topic of soccer, anyone out there, sort of Fairfield, Connecticut area, I guess you can live in New York if you just want to come to Fairfield County, Connecticut every Sunday. Usually the games are at 10 a.m. If you're over 40, we're looking for people. If you're 35 and up and a goalkeeper, we need you. It's the highlight of my sporting week. Uh, Let's see. The team did lose every single game last year. No ties, but... 
<laughs> it can only go up from here. My team in Texas was very good, so it wasn't me. We're still a team. Great camaraderie. If you're interested, email me. Wejo at letsrun.com. Well, and I thought you were going to talk about the biggest sporting event of the week. The, the big soccer match, 3 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Oh my God, I completely forgot. Brighton hosts Crystal Palace in Premier League action. The first game ended in a tie at Selhurst Park thanks to a late Neil Mope equalizer. Brighton, who's a top-half team, Crystal Palace, who's not. We get the rubber match on Friday. Oh my gosh, this is great. Gotta have a side bet or something. So we got that Friday. We got the Friday 15. We'll have to record before that. And tomorrow, everyone, we've got the bonus podcast with Mary-Kate Shea, the Boston Marathon Elite Coordinator. Is that the proper title, John? She works for John Hancock. No, she, she but... used to work for John Hancock, but then the BAA took over the elite field. So I think now she's the BAA Elite Athlete Coordinator. I, we'll get her official title when we welcome her on tomorrow, but she is the woman who assembled the elite fields for the 2022 Boston Marathon. Hopefully there's some big names in the men's field as well. But if not, it'll still be cool talking to her, figure out, you know, a little, little more behind the scenes, how they assemble these fields. We'll figure out why this state secret couldn't leak a little bit earlier to us. They better have Bikile. Who else do we really want in there? Well, Kipchoge would be pretty sick, but... What is he running Tokyo, though? But Bikile, Robbie, he's really the guy you really want to see. I know he's a huge name, but he's now two and a half years removed from his last good marathon. I mean, are we, are we re- like, I want to see Bikile in the Boston course. I think it's cool, but I don't know if it's like, that's, re- that's really the guy he needs to have Kennedy's to Bikile. I 100% agree with Robert. He's still a huge name to me. If he shows up, it was like Alan Webb. Anytime that dude tote the line, well, until you finally quit hearing. But once you quit hearing, that you know that's when they're done. I want if Bikiwe's in Boston, I'm paying more attention. He's probably not that expensive anymore. Beggars can't be choosers, John. Yes, he's the name I want. Who do you want? You know, of course, the word on the street is Kipchoge is going to Tokyo. But the word on the street in Tokyo, when we were actually in Tokyo, was that Kipchoge wasn't in shape. He dominated the marathon, so who knows? But you've got these are our top ten men from the world rankings. Tell me which one really moves the needle, and you're like, oh, I've got to see him race. Bashir Abdi, Lawrence Toronto, Benson Caputo, Sisse Leme, Tita Sakuru, Seifutura, Tamaru Tola, Abdi Najia, and Albert Career. I mean, basically, if we were using another sport analogy, I'm not saying those guys aren't good but they're sort of all like two war baseball players. They're kind of, in, they're replaceable for the right price. Whereas there's no replacing, I'm assuming they're not getting from a performance and name standpoint. And then since these other guys are all kind of the same level from a performance standpoint, I want the name. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point, actually. Though the one thing, the other guys that would move the needle for me if you can get Cam Warrior, I know he didn't run great in Valencia, but we also know he wasn't close to healthy in Valencia. So a fully fit Jeffrey Cam Warrior in Boston, I'd really be excited to see. Or if we get a debut, and I think this is not going to happen in 2022, but if you got Jacob Kip Limo or you got 
Joshua Chepter guy making their marathon debuts. Those ones are going to be races I have to see, but I don't think that's going to be happening this year. All right, everyone, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Remember, stay tuned for the bonus episode dropping on Thursday with Mary-Kate Shea. We'll have the Friday 15, which you can sign up for on letsrun.com slash subscribe to join the supporters club and you'll get access to that. And then next week, our coaching series begins with Dathan Ritzenhain of the On Athletics Club. So lots to discuss, lots of podcasts coming your way very soon. Show your track van, get your Bill Rose tickets, and start 2022 off right, fueling right. Drink Element, drinkelementy.com slash let's run. Link in the show notes for the free sample pack.